see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy, everybody. You're listening to Spit, the Spit Podcast. By the way, did you know that last time I said down the line, Surf Talk, did you catch that? I didn't even catch it. Yeah. It's May 29th. That's amazing. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you. Spit Podcast. We're spitballing all things surf, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. At least I do. As usual, I've got... Notes prepared, ready to go. I've got a cup of coffee. I was going to say, how's your breakfast? You know what happened? I got to tell you. Tell me. My wife jumped shipped. What do you mean? She washed her hair with shampoo. No way. Yeah. What because happened? she was she was having highlights put in, and so the person that was that was doing the work, you know the yeah, what do they call them, stylists or whatever. Sure. That lady washed her hair. Did to, to uh, do the like coloring? Did your wife? tell her that she was on this program i think so okay and it was kind of like regardless we have to wash it yeah for the color to work you know interesting i've had the stylists try to wash my hair and i don't let them really yeah because i'll sit down and not because it needs to be washed it's because that's part of their program is like let's wash your hair in addition to cutting it and i'll just be like no 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 sometimes i don't even tell them why like because i'm too embarrassed i don't want to have to go through the full explanation but at any rate scott I'm sad to hear that. She has to start from scratch. It's Do tough, you use dude. the phrase no poo? No. That would leave people to believe something different. Right. So I want to be as specific as possible with this. <laughs> right. It's already it's making already, it's already dirty. It's already making me an outcast in society. <laughs> so I don't want it to go beyond. Um, By the way, how's your relationship with your significant other? Uh, it's Going really well, thanks for asking. Right, good. Why Why do you have this newfound interest in it? I just, she seems like um, a soulmate. Like, she seems very what? much like you. Wow. And so, I see a union happening here. Wow. Yeah. That's bold. Did Did she confer with you when I was no. not looking? Because you've been putting the pressure on. It was kids last time, and now it's a union. How old are you? Dude, you asked me this last time, too. The listeners already know how old I am. You can't even remember. I'm going to guess. You're 41. 36 yikes oh that's right and she's 35 33 33 man i'm embarrassed i gotta get back in yoga if you think i'm 41 (laughs) i do too by the way anyway i I do see some i do see good things with you too because you seem like kindred spirits like i said hey that's nice of you uh she's great and things are going well oh and i wanted to mention you know i've got that new um i've been using it because it's been misty in the morning and I just frankly like having dry stuff. So I've got my wet dry bag from, from Neat Essentials that I've been using. And thanks to Rob for setting us up with that. That thing's heavy duty and bulletproof, dude. Love it. I'm into it. And it's keeping Neat my gear dry in the back of my truck, which is what really is important. Well, you and I have talked about their wetsuits for a long time. Um, but neatessentials.com has everything you need for the beach and the mountain, as it turns out. So not just wetsuits, board you know shorts, what? leashes, traction. Right. Flip-flops. Yes. Jackets. Right. Snowboard shells. They don't have sunglasses. And my kid was just at that lightning in a bottle music festival, like out east of Big Sur. And he had his live happy. What's the spy thing? Sea happy. Sea happy. Sorry. 
No, I live happy too when I wear them. Right. It's not just seeing. Well, he was seeing happy. He Everyone was happy apparently at this festival. <laughs> There's a lot of happiness. But uh, he attributes his happiness to his spy optics. I love how you just completely lost your glasses. <laughs> no, all of boy. my spy stuff is, everything I get goes to my kid. Like he just co-ops it. Wow. What a generous father figure, dude. No, it's not we by generosity. It's to be. Just oh, okay. <laughs> what a selfish child we right. have. Yeah. All right. Well, spyoptic.com. They support this show. So I always tell people, look, dude, don't burden yourself by um, trying to keep up with the Joneses and buy all the new fancy gear all the time. But you are going to need sunglasses at some point. Buy them through spyoptic.com and directly support Scott and I and our efforts here on Spit Podcast. So spyoptic.com. And the way that they track that is through a promo code. So use the promo code podcast and they will know that we sent you. Okay. Um, speaking of yoga, I listened to a great podcast. I'll turn listeners on to ESPN's 30 for 30 series. Obviously it's a film documentary project that they've been on for a long time. A series of documentaries. They now do a podcast and they're in season three and season three is about Bikram. The Bikram Chowdhury is the guy's name who started Bikram yoga, which I know you've done, right? I know you did hot yoga. I don't know if it was Bikram. I'm not, I'm not sure I know the difference, okay. but I do hot yoga. Okay, so um, it hot yoga basically came from Bikram, and Bikram specifically is 26 postures, always in the same sequence. So it's a distinct thing, but it was started by this guy, Bikram Chowdhury. And, and incidentally, Brittany and I spent a lot of time in Bikram yoga when we first started dating. Like she's super duper into it and was going five times a week, you know, so we would do that regularly. Anyway, this Bikram Chowdhury guy uh, has a long, long list of sexual harassment, like lawsuits against him. And he's a fascinating... I've heard about this. I've heard yeah. about this part of it because they were going to open this huge yoga center in Encinitas. I'm pretty sure it was a Bikram thing. And, and there was all this talk of Encinitas being literally the center of the yoga universe. Like mm-hmm. people from around the world were going to come to Encinitas for yoga because of swamis and all of that. And now we've got Bikram. And then, as you mentioned, there was this, there was a sexual situation, a sexual harassment or assault or a hashtag me too situation that occurred and the whole thing fell through. Continue. It's yeah, it's um, a long series of, I mean, he has a long history of this. There's no question about it. You know, it's not like he's implicated in these things. No, no, no. He absolutely did these things for a long, long time. There and different degrees of it. You know, some of it is like forcible and then some of it is just using his power to coerce women into whatever. Right. But um he's hiding out. He's still teaching. You're still practicing. He's and hiding and teaching? He is in Mexico. Um <laughs> holding oh his God. holding his teacher training still. But it's fascinating. The series 30 for 30, season three, all five episodes are released at once, so you can get all of them. Um and it's interesting to hear it's cultish, you know, it's interesting to hear how cults form and how societies form and all just the sociology of it. And then to see ultimately, um, ultimate power corrupts ultimately, you know what I mean? Like once you have that much kind of power and everybody impunity to do what you want, nobody tells, you no, people abuse it regardless of their convictions and kind of morality it's like that just kind of supersedes and people get crazy is the human experiment experiment is the human experiment then flawed 
I'm not sure. First of it's all, it's a deep question. You, you took the idea that the humans are an experiment and you, you ran with that. Did, you didn't even Those are your that. words, right? I know, but you didn't question it. You No, I'm not. I'm you, not taking that completely. You said I'm not sure as if That was one of my first thoughts so why I wasn't is sure. The human race an experiment? Yes or no? And then either way, obviously we're flawed. I guess the deeper question is, are there people on the other side of the equation who have had ultimate power and authority and have used it for the betterment of society Look, and mankind? I could think of a few examples, right? I mean, I, I kind of was always waiting for a hammer to drop with somebody like Billy Graham or Mr. Rogers or something where it's like when that when all the sexual allegation stuff comes out about people, especially back in that era where you were just allowed to smack your secretary on the butt when she was walking out of your office, you know, like it was absolutely acceptable in the fifties. People got away with it all the time. Um, I expect guys from that era for skeletons to come out of the closet, especially after they die. Maybe, you know, you start to hear rumors, those guys, you never heard any rumors about Gandhi. You never heard any rumors about. So, Yes, people are able to Are you putting live. Mr. Rogers in the same air as Billy Graham and Gandhi? <laughs> because I think Mr. Rogers did have some governors on him. Like, he had bosses above him. Like, this Bikram guy was just running free. Like, he didn't have anybody telling Maybe. him, no, he was the head guy. Billy Graham was the head guy. Gandhi was the head guy. Mr. Rogers, love him to death. Sad that he's passed. Good guy. I think he did. And I don't think he would have done anything. <laughs> However, is, are you putting him in the same light? I would say absolutely they're in the same light. Nice. Um, but also he indicated or he certainly gave enough evidence to a certain character, you know, that like was kind of co- contrary to what I said earlier, um, not shakable, you know, like his foundation was solid enough to where it almost seemed, and it secondly seemed like, oh, here's a huger difference, actually. It secondly seemed like he didn't have the ego to ever want that level of impunity wow, and power. that's good. You just so that's probably it. I think you it nailed is. it there. That's yeah. so good, right? So the removal of ego is, is to the benefit of the man that removes it or that has it removed or that doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. Powerful. I think so, Spit. right? Because even, even Billy Graham and Gandhi in those examples... I don't think that they ever envisioned the level of, I don't know, notoriety that they ultimately ended up gaining. They were just really good at what they did enough to where everybody around them kind of elevated them to that status. Whereas the Bikram guy, he was out for commercial gain, owning as many luxury vehicles and Rolexes as he could. Oh, was that his move? Oh, he, that was his, his yoga outfit is super slim, tight, black speedo and a Rolex watch. Oh in God. in 120 degree yoga for 90 minutes. Well, that's what makes the best podcast, right? And the best stuff is like interesting characters. And this guy's an interesting character. He also- I thought you were going to say creepiness, which I was going to say, <laughs> no wonder our podcast is so good because you're here in front of us. And the other <laughs> thing about him is like, he came about at the, you know, the seventies and like ended up in Beverly Hills where he got like, Shirley MacLaine was one of his hugest advocates, Raquel wow. Welch, all these people. 
So that elevated him, but also it was before the internet. So he lied about everything. He was like, I was the national yoga champ in India. I was this yoga prodigy from a childhood. And then in the 2000s, when the studios start to take off, people just research it and go, there was no national yoga championship in India until 1975, you know, and you were around in 68 claiming these things. He wasn't a child prodigy. He was actually a masseuse and a weightlifter, you know? So, um, it all, I mean, the house comes crumbling down. So that leads us to where you're at with Encinitas, which is like all these successful Bikram studios. That was his success of it was branding. So it was like automating and automating the hamburger construction for McDonald's, put them at the head of the game because they can make a hamburger in 60 seconds. Right. And then franchise this thing out. So he made it simple, automated 26 postures. You say these exact words, you don't deviate from the script. And then uh, we'll give you a template for how to build out the studio and the name and all that sort of stuff. But now with all of his kind of legal concerns, people who have successful studios want to back away from it. And they're like, we don't want to use the name. Other people are like, the name is bigger than he is. By you pulling the name back, that gives him power as the uh, perpetrator of this crime. Uh, forget him. Bikram's bigger than the guy himself. It's this new thing, you know? And so, Bikram is his first name or it his is. last name? It is, yeah. Hmm. So anyways, 30 for 30 podcast. 30 for 30 shedding perhaps unnecessary light on this guy then. I think the story needs to get out there about who he is. and For what, sure, I agree. Yeah. And I would suggest to you that... Because he's should still re- out there re- too. If, 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 I was in, if I was a licensee of a Bikram studio, I would just be... Moving beyond the Bikram name, I would I'd be, too. I'd be flipping off the franchise fee, and I'd be saying, "Screw you!" And a lot You're of people bad for my brand. Dude. A lot of people have, and that's. I think it's important to get the story out there because he's still teaching in Mexico, and people are paying, still slapping secretaries on the butt. You would think, you know. So, Is, would you send your daughter if you and it's ten thousand no. dollar teacher training? No. So it's like, would you send your daughter, give her ten thousand bucks to go, and she's eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old to go train with this guy? No, hell no. And it's not an isolated incident. There's like a long in polo cologne. <laughs> Dracar Noir. <laughs> now, is there a character like this in surfing? Let's... A rapist? No, but a guy who has sort of I mean, I hope not a rapist, but is there a guy who's who's said things about himself that aren't necessarily true, that he's pro- you know, promoted himself or propped himself up into such a place that um you know, there's no real foundation for it. There's a guy I'm thinking of. Is there really? Well, he, but he's kind of a, they started this character as a spoof anyway. There was a guy in the 60s, J.J. Moon. And I might be butchering this. So if you, listeners out there, if you know anything more I about this. I remember reading this. But J.J. Moon was a character that I think Mickey Dora or yeah. somebody here in Dana Point Somebody created, it might have been Corky Carroll, somebody created a character named J.J. Moon, and it was all done right from the get-go as a spoof, but they they literally, like, they made a J.J. Moon model surfboard. It was a trisect. It was like a Hobie trisect longboard. They made, J.J. Moon, I think, went to Vietnam. I think J.J. Moon, like, won world titles. He was a world champion. I've got the story from... Warshaw's Encyclopedia. Let's hear it. You want to hear it? J.J. Moon. Round-faced surfer from Newport Beach, California, who became a self or a surf world comedy phenomenon in the mid-60s as J.J. Moon, the self-proclaimed number one surfer in the world. Uh, His name was actually Ned Eckhart. Okay, I've met this guy. 
Really? Yes, I've met JJ Moon at, at one of our auctions. I just remembered, but go ahead. More recently, or yeah, like, like 2013 or 20, yeah, 2013. So he's still around. Well, I mean, in 2013, he was. Eckert was born in uh, 30, 1937 in St. Louis, moved with his family to Beverly Hills, began surfing at 18. Um, the affable, sociable Eckert became friends with some of Southern California's top riders while surfing at Malibu and Huntington and often introduced himself as J.J. Moon, the gnome de plume he used for a horse race handicapping column he wrote for the Newport uh, Beach Daily Pilot. California surfer Rick Steer secretly entered J.J. Moon into the 1964 Makaha uh, International Contest in Hawaii, billing him as the Lake Michigan wake surfing champion. Prior to the contest, a radio interviewer asked top California surfer and Eckhart friend Mickey Munoz, who he thought would be the toughest competition at Makaha. Munoz said there were a lot of hot surfers, but the one he feared most was the fabulous J.J. Moon. A surfing legend was born. In 1966, Surfer Magazine interview, uh, the paunchy and slightly cross-eyed Moon said he'd never in his life wiped out or lost a board. And he recently won the Nanchez to Mobile Invitational as well as the Saint, the Memphis to St. Joe Wake Surfing Championships. And his favorite breaks were the Cincinnati Pipeline and Tornado Surf in Kansas. The magazine also reported that because Moon had six toes on his right foot, he was the only surfer in the world who could hang 11. <laughs> that surfer, uh, or that summer, Life Magazine published a two-page article asking, is JJ really king of surf? and noted that Moon holds more titles than there are surfing competitions. The fad continued with J.J. Moon fan clubs, the J.J. Moon competi uh, competition surf team stickers and t-shirts, and J.J. Moonshot cocktails were served at a bar near Moon's Newport Beach home. Moon answered reader questions in Surfer Magazine's Dear J.J. column in 1967, but the fad was over by 68. Yeah, J.J. Moon. That he's amazing. But he's not, he, he's comedic. It's all tongue-in-cheek, it's in jest. It's not at this level of a fraud that you would say that this Bikram guy is. But yeah, J.J. Moon, what a great character. What a, he, and he was very, when I met him, he was very affable and very um, gregarious and easy to talk with and was interested in you. And like, you know, I remember him just saying, I'm J.J. Moon, I was the guy. That's hilarious. And we had a J.J. Moon um there was a, a model, there was a surfboard model, I think it was a Hobie, it was a trisect, that somebody in Vietnam sent over to us. There was a colonel or a captain, I, I apologize, I'm butchering the story a little bit, but somebody had a J.J. Moon model, trisect, sent to Vietnam for surfing at China Beach or wherever. It was sent back to us for the auction, and it had a J.J. Moon crate that it came in. It had its own, like, they did a pretty good, a pretty good job of marketing J.J. Moon. We could definitely use that again. Yes. Something like that. Irreverence like that. Yes. Know? Not taking ourselves so seriously like that. Yes. So, um, speaking of the boardroom, congratulations on the boardroom podcast. Oh, yeah. Exciting times. The boardroom dude. podcast, yeah. Launching, episode one. Right. Yes, episode we one. We should tell people it's available on its own podcast feed. So, right. we put episode one on spits podcast feed this podcast feed but um henceforth maybe just or maybe we'll do episode two as well but like really subscribe to its own feed and you will never miss an episode yeah then yeah we're excited so 
We did the one with um, the engineer, uh, Willie McFarland from American Wave Machines. And I think I answered most of the questions that you and I sort of came up with. Yeah, I think so too. And um, I tried to be as informative as possible. This is kind of a new new realm for me. It's, an, it's weird. It's an old realm, but it feels like a new realm. Why? Because I've always had co-hosts. Uh, but I also, for for a long time, you know, as an editor at the magazine, I would do interviews with people that, you know, I would have to transcribe and cut into a story. And and I would argue, I don't, I can't speak for your other previous co-hosts, but when you and I have had a guest on this show, you generally take the lead anyways, in terms of interviewing, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. I don't think it's new for you. No, either. no, but it's good that it's, it's good that I feel a sense of excitement about it. You know okay, what I mean? and you like, do. You know what I mean? Like it's like I want to be prepared. I want to try to do better at each one, and I think we'll be doing maybe one a month, perhaps more than that. Okay. You know? um, I just kind of got to get the ball rolling here, but no less than one a month. Well, let me ask you this then: Why now? Why are you excited to do it? Like, what's inside of you that you want to kind of express and dig into? Well, frankly, part of it is you've kind of kicked my ass a little bit. Like you've just sort of unknowingly. I've done such a good job with what you're doing Thanks. that I've always kind of like, that's kind of what I want to do, you yeah. know, but I've been busy and stuff and you've helped me with technology and stuff. Although some <laughs> listeners would argue against that, but so, um, you know, so there's a little bit of watching you. I just think it's, I just, I there, I'm a journalist at heart. Like I want to find out information, you know, like it's not about me. I want to find out about you, you know, and hopefully that's the way it's going to come off. And I think the listeners want to hear more in-depth sort of deep dives into certain people. And I hope to bring some fascinating characters and maybe some people that you've never heard from, um, to the, to the, you know, forefront. Yeah. And I've told you and you've had, you and I have had this conversation off air, but I've told listeners this too. Um, certainly when we interact at the boardroom show and stuff like that, but people just want more content. We're at a time right now where it's like, if you're really down with the medium of podcasting, there's not enough surf content for you to, to ingest, you know? And so I think that there are certainly there's a couple of co-hosted shows now of kind of covering news. There's now a couple of interview style shows. There's not a audio documentary series. There's not an investigative journalistic series. There's not even a storytelling series. Like there's a lot of different ways to approach this medium that are yet to be done that I would love people just to step up to and start taking swings, you know? And so people want more content. The more people that we have generating content, I think is better. You're going to be interested in telling different stories than the ones I'm interested in telling. Like I wouldn't have necessarily reached out to that guy, to Willie, but I'm super interested to hear what he has to say, you know? You know, what I found most interesting, uh, although not most interesting, but as interesting was the prologue to the interview with him. Yeah. The information that was completely gleaned from Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing yeah. about the history of wave pools and wave parks. And I think a lot of the listeners were like, wow, that was a pretty cool primer. It was a little long. It was 10 minutes long, but not too long, but it was a good primer leading into and, um, yeah. It well, was who's good. next? What do you got? Dennis on the Jarvis. Top? So we're doing Dennis Jarvis tomorrow. I don't know when it'll be posted live, probably by Friday, maybe at the earliest, I bet. Okay. And um, yeah, so we're going to talk to Dennis Jarvis about, as many people know, if you follow any of the board builders on Instagram here in North America, 
there's um, sort of been a protectionist um, movement to, to save American surf labor, to save the American surfboard manufacturer. Um, and I don't want to put words in Dennis's mouth, but we'll get to the bottom of it tomorrow. But basically, he's been sort of the, the only um, informative, clear-headed, clear-thinking voice that's like, hey, some of the practices we're not okay with. And, um, and frankly, you know, there's, you know, there's going to be people on the other side of the equation that are going to want equal time and we'll give that to them as well. Yeah. So together in one or just, no, we're just going to do Dennis Jarvis. Then we're going to probably do somebody on the, uh, you know, that's importing boards. And there seems to be, um, it's kind of boiled down to, and we'll find out more tomorrow, but it seems like it's boiled down to people are disappointed in the consignment model that's occurring. And again, we'll get we'll get into more of that tomorrow. But um, some of these other outlier um, uh, ideals that people are disappointed with are sort of going by the wayside, like the idea of surf American surf labor only. Like if your board's not made by a guy who surfs, then you shouldn't be riding that board. Like some of these things are kind of don't make sense. Yeah, but um, we'll find out more tomorrow. Okay, I'm excited. I like Dennis. Um, have you ever shaped a surfboard? I have. How many? One. And then that was evidence <laughs> enough that you should stop? No, I, I wish to God I shaped more. I should. I, it, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and, but I f- have shaped a surfboard. Um, I did it. You know, my, you know, Sean Jensen. Yeah. Sean Jensen. Remember he used to have a little shape your own surfboard thing. This was way back like 2004. Okay. in Huntington or somewhere in Westminster, he had a little shop and you could go in there and he would help you, you know? And so I made a board for my son when H- Hank was probably around eight years old or something. Yeah. I made him a little board. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I just figured because of your um, profession and all your interests, I would think that you would have been. I think I could probably it. be pretty good. I've always kind of cringed. I'm not much of a craftsman. I'm not yeah. much of a tools guy. I'm not much of a, but I've, I've felt and seen and ridden so many boards that I know I can go to a board and know, oh, I'm going to like this one or, oh, this one feels a little full in the rail or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like I could put my hands on something and go, okay, we need to take a little bit out here and let's change this. Now, I'm not sure if I could apply the actual that, tools to get that done. That's my problem too. Not that crafty, you know? So, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to refer to your hairdo as proof against that, that you are actually quite crafty. The uh, chop hop. That's true. Crafted that from scratch. That was partially genetic, so didn't have much to do with it. Um, you know, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was the surfers are the worst thing. People surfers are loving are the worst. People are loving it. I've been sending stickers out to people. Um, Me too. Have you? I sent one to Chris Johnson. Oh, okay, good. In New Zealand. You really? Yes. You sent one sticker to one New Zealand. One sticker to New Zealand. Oh my god. I hope he got it. I'm sure he did. Um, that's not his name. Shut up. Rainbow? Rainbow. I might have. Rainbow. I think I, no, I think I addressed it to Chris, but. Mm. Um, well. Rainbow, did he make, you can't gloss yourself. You can't give yourself your own name. Is that really, did somebody else give him that name? He sent an email explaining it all. There was like three I, Chris Johnsons at his I did, workplace. I read the email, but I mean, did he make up the rainbow thing? I don't think so. Somebody else gave him that I name. I think so, yeah. Pretty sure. Uh, it's a good nickname. Anyway. People are loving that. However, I had a conversation with um, Harvard PhD. 
He's a professor of philosophy at UCI. I'm supposed to interview that guy. Aaron, Aaron James? Yeah. No way. Dude. Yeah. Did you already do it for Surf Splendor? <laughs> yeah. That's so I didn't funny. publish it yet. I'm supposed to do it like next week, June 4th. Did the publisher reach out to you and ask yeah, you? Yeah, Mandy or yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, do it. Well, I mean... No, I'd be fascinated to hear... I'd like to see your line of questioning. Heck Did no, you read not the book? in advance, yeah. The book's kind of a the piece. The dense, dude. And the thesis is kind of crazy, basically, that it's good to surf a lot and to not work so much. It's good for the environment is basically the thesis, right? Pretty much. That's... that's who who greenlighted that thesis? They must, UCI, they must be... I mean, have you? I, I'm sure it's fun to read, and I and I've it's... read through ch- almost chapter one. I read the oh, intro, wow. and I'm deep. <laughs> well, I just I got to do the interview in like a week, so it's kind of exhaustive to read. Like it, I know it takes like philosophy. I mean, I never studied philosophy. I took three philosophy classes through college, maybe total, and it's uh, a whole different mindset. Like you have to kind of shift your mind into that mindset. Yeah. Like you almost do need a primer in philosophy. You do yeah, because it's just exhausting to read. It's like, well, let's examine this theory. And if you go down this, then that means these things are true. And once you're down this path, these things become true. Right. And you're like, well, I'm way off the original path that I started on. And I'm not sure I sign on to that original concept. Exactly. And now I'm, yeah, now I'm like three hours into reading this thing and I don't fully believe with it a lot, you know. I know, like you have to bite and, and approve of the thesis, at least go, okay. And that's, that takes a lot just to do. It then does. once you do that, and that's just in the, not even in chapter one, that's in the intro or the preface. Yeah. Then you've then you're like, okay, I'm buying in. And then you're down the rabbit's hole of all sorts of stuff. Well, stick with it. And honestly, I, I want to interview the guy just because I think it's fascinating. He seems like a cool guy based he is. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you should do, I think I'd love to see the two different episodes that we produce. I will listen to yours for sure. I just to hear how different it could be. You know what I mean? I won't be eating a banana during my, <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think that would be kind of, well, interesting? I was kind of going, you know what? I just want to interview this guy as a person Yeah, and let the book kind of fall where it may. Like I want to find out about Aaron. James. Essentially. You don't want to read the book. No, That's I'm reading the book. I'm reading the book. Yeah. But you but got a week and a half and it's dense. It is. And, and I want him to help me understand the book. I kind of wanted to go into the thing. Like, let's say I didn't read the book. (laughs) (laughs) You got through chapter the, not even the chapter one, you got through the preface and then realized that you need a new. I've got into chapter one, but you got to understand the way I read is I read at night and I open the book and I turn on my reading light and I'm good for like, if it's, if I'm into it, if the book's really good, I'm good for maybe a chapter. But if it's, I can fall asleep like that. This is more, you need to treat this like homework. This is homework. This isn't read before you go to bed. No, I could tell. Um, Took me three months to get through the intro. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, anyway, what I was going to use that to set up was surfers aren't the worst, according to Aaron James. And by the way, his book is called Surfing with Sartre. It's a into that's a whole nother thing yeah so it's basically him having a fake debate with sartre sartre says these things and aaron says no no no, you're wrong uh sartre's this philosopher that aaron really holds in high esteem and high regard and and he's passed away and so he wishes and this is his dialogue with him yeah like based on sartre's teachings i'll prove that they're wrong because surfing has all the answers to living a meaningful life basically and to bettering the environment and all that sort of stuff so aaron's dr james's um, 
core kind of tenet is that surfers aren't the worst. Surfers are actually on the right side I'm of history. I'm going to prove him wrong. Go, That's kind I of think what you I should take do. that stance. I kind of want to go. Just against. walk in and hand him the sticker. Yeah. Just be like, prove it. So <laughs> he's. I might do that. So he. Um, I want you to. Pr- I'm going to push it across the table. And I'm going to go, I want you to prove me wrong. Don't even look down at the sticker. Just stare Just, dead into his eyes while you're sliding it okay, across. That's going to happen. Um, but I think that he does present some valid points in terms of surfers are on the right side of history in terms of reducing, you know, carbon emissions and living, you know. But that's based on us not working. Like if you read his thing, right? He's yeah. he's like, we're, we're, not, we're not working as much, which means we're not using as many fossil fuels. So not working is actually good for the environment. Correct. I that I, I find that hard to believe <laughs> because by working, you're certainly going to create capital and you, you could use that capital in a positive effect for the environment. So you could use that capital to create solar panels. So what, are you, what work are you doing? Like what um, is your work? I'm a service worker. I'm a waiter. Generating bang carbon emissions right there. You're, yeah, but, you're serving people food. That food all create that food. Well, there's no shipped out that, that, that everybody's that. creating. I mean, but, look, what about the carbon emissions of going surfing? Right. That's less than. How all, do we know this? You don't. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But you're so you're working within, again, those theoretical, uh, <laughs> the theoretical framework of the vast majority of work is done kind of under the context of the industrial revolution, which is all, that's all changing like that. No, it's partially changing, but it's largely being changed by surfers, people with this surfer mentality, which is work from home less, not the nine to five. And also grow your own vegetables and also do yoga and all these other things. No surfers are part of those movements. He's not saying just surfers, but it's more about this type of lifestyle of, you chasing and keeping up with the Joneses by working 40 hours a week and trying to buy the better car and the bigger house and all that is contributing to the denigrating of the planet. And so we need to get back to where it was kind of pre 1950s and even pre industrial revolution where it's like, no, you work Jeffersonian. We all have little farms. We all have little communities where the farm food is handed out. Using that little tone of voice makes it sound insulting. Okay, so don't don't start doing that. Okay, no, no I'm just messing. With you. Uh, but yes, some of that. Like, look, stop chasing what we've been chasing for the last half a century, and chase, focus more on leisure, waves. or focus on leisure. Don't don't just work to get like one weekend and two weeks, two paid weeks a year. You know, one weekend every week and then two paid weeks a year. Leisure has value. Beyond just uh, restoring you to go back to work. Leisure has value in terms of like you sleep better. You're a better functioning human being. You're better to your kids. You're better to society. All that stuff. That's more of the the thesis of the book. It's interesting. And it's such a big leap, right? Because some could argue that when you or I, David, feel our best is after a hard day's work. It's not after a surf. We feel like we deserve then to go surfing. But if you surf all day and you know you have work that needs to be done, don't you get a little guilty? Mm-hmm. Don't you feel a little bad about yourself? Doesn't it make your surf very not much? A- yeah. And so I think deep within our DNA, there's something about toiling the earth with our hands to create whatever it is that we do. There's something about work, about toiling, that is deeply, deeply satisfying. Totally. And 
if we take Dr. James's concept to its extreme, and maybe he's not suggesting that, but if it was just all leisure, I think we wouldn't find life very fulfilling. I entirely agree. And I brought that up with him. I was like, I haven't actually been on a dedicated surf trip in a long time because I don't want to. Like I go on work trips that I get to surf on or what, you know, uh, family vacation that has other ideas. And then maybe I'll surf along the way because I wouldn't, I'd feel guilty. I just wouldn't enjoy surfing eight hours a day and not doing anything else. I like to get a little bit of work done, then do that, you know? So I fully agree with you, but I think what his idea is great, but you're putting work in a very specific thing. You're talking about sitting behind the desk and working. Sometimes work is also doing the laundry for your family or cooking a meal for your family. All that falls in the realm of work. That'll make you feel very satisfied as well and make the surf experience feel like a reward. But his, but at least chapter one's concept is the less work you do, the less fossil fuels are burned, the less environmental impact you have as an individual. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I just don't know if the amount of fossil fuels that are spent in my search for waves is less or more than my work yeah. fossil fuel your, footprint. Your work, it isn't, I would say. Because your work is more nebulous. You could do it from home. You could do it from the phone. Like it's not generating a huge carbon uh, output, right? Emission. But the but the lifting up of the surfboard manufacturing industry indirectly probably has a pretty huge carbon footprint. I would say and relatively so small. Say, I mean, that's such a small, small industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. No, you're right. Compared Maybe, to almost yeah. all other industries, that's the whole thing. Negligible. This whole conversation is relative. Yeah, it is. Well, stick with the book. The book I felt like was homework, and I it was exhaust exhaustive to read at times, but it had that same hard work benefit where I got through it, and I was like, oh. I, um, this thought exercise required me to stretch in ways that I haven't stretched before. And I'm now viewing a lot of things under a different lens. So yeah, I, I don't stretch. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm looking forward. Did you read the book during the daytime? Did you have to sit down for yes. an hour and a half at a time? Yes. It became a chore. It became like, at first I had it for a month, I'd say and a half in advance. And I was like, Oh, I'll leisurely make my way through this. Yeah. I got to the three weeks out mark and I was like, Oh, I need to structure this. I need to put in an hour a day to make it through. Yeah. And still not really fully absorbing all the concepts. Oh my God. And taking copious notes. Right. It was a homework assignment. And I finished the night before, you know, (laughs) like cramming to get it done, but I, I got it done. Like I'm, proud of what I got done and like the questioning and all that stuff. I was, I felt like I actually, um, did See, I would, a service. I would really appreciate a sit down with you and just give me the friggin' reader's digest version of the book. You that, can't do that though. Cause it's so de- in depth. Exactly. The, 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 the concepts are so deep in the philosophy side of things and the people and, and concepts that he points to in each chapter, he points to sort of a different what, don't know. He go, he points to a different like philosophy about like I, I'm imagining the first chapter is about the fossil footprint of surfers. And then the second chapter is about the way not working so much is also going to make you feel good. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. 
And so each chapter sort of explains why surfing answers all of the questions to mankind's kind of. And some things woes. are just some things are just like um, you know, the dedication that it takes to show up every morning before sunup to battle for the right waves and the best waves at the best time. That type of dedication builds just good um uh, muscle self-devel- memory yeah, for you to then succeed in your work life and your family life and all these other ways. So it's not, well, it's, uh, I'm not, I, you're in, you'll, you'll yeah, dig it. You'll yeah. dig it. Um, when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Just kind of moving on. One of the things we talked about was you and I had talked about in our previous show was about the founder's cup and questioning the lack of predictability in it being a role in the lack of excitement. Well, listener emailed and said, you and Bass keep talking about the lack of predictability in the ocean. We're actually wired for unpredictable gratification. More than 60 years ago, the famous American psychologist B.F. Skinner demonstrated that unpredictable rewards created obsessive behavior in rats. In the wave pool, where is our buzzer beater? The unpredictability of the ocean is what tantalizes us to go back for more, end quote. Absolutely. And one thing that I noticed was literally a week after our show, and we harped hard on we need unpredictability. They sent out a press release about the Karamas event, and the, on the headline of the email was, Bali is unpredictable. Did you see this? No. I saw this, and I went, oh, my God, I'm sure David got this email. He must be, like, rolling his eyes as I am. I didn't get the email, but that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, Rio was so enjoyable because it was unpredictable. You know what I mean? I, like, that, first of all, was the best Rio event that I can remember, or the best yes. Brazil event I can remember. Yeah. But secondly it was in such stark contrast to the wave pool that I'm wondering if we gave it a couple bonus points for that reason alone. Unknowingly. I've, I've, I'm going the extra mile and saying Rio's better than Bali. Who well, would have thought so that, far? Yeah. Who would have thought that Rio was going to be better than the, a perfect wave that peels for 300 yards and Karamas? Nobody would have guessed Nobody. that. Yeah. And I'm kind of watching Karamas and I'm slightly bored with the wave. I don't think it's a competitive. I don't think it's a great competitive showcase wave. I think it's great for 
like dropping video segments and stuff like that. But one of the things, David, if I may real quick, you notice how it blows out at like 10 a.m.? Yeah. Well, that's what it does there. You know where it's perfect conditions all the time, right when it's 10 a.m.? Uluwatu? Yes. Yeah. The Bukat Peninsula, this is the season where it's offshore glassy, just buttery groomed all day long. Yeah. And they're on the side of the island where it blows out at 10 a.m. Right. Well, Strider even said, he's like, this is the greatest gig in the world because it's a half. We we work for not even a half day, a portion of a day in the morning, get the afternoon off, go right across the peninsula, 45 minutes and score perfect surf all afternoon by, you know, by ourselves. So, um, I just question why Karamas is on, is on the schedule. Frankly, we didn't question it. I mean, because we've all seen those really cool edits of guys ripping, you know, Taj doing this and, but I think doing that, I think the wave, historically warrants an event there. I think it's not as good as it once was, right? Maybe the swell's too big for it. I mean, look, there's some great moments. There's some great tube rides. I'm not, you know, but I mean, if we're going to be hypercritical, which is what we do, I would suggest you, if you have an entire peninsula of perfect left points an hour away, that's glassy and perfect all day long. Why are we doing this? If we had Scott Bass's purple blob tour, first of all, we'd be a cloud break. And the world's greatest surfers would be surfing the gnarliest waves in the world. Yeah. The fact that we're not doing that is a huge miss. And we're all concentrated on some wave up in ranch country. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Let's follow the earth. Let's follow the ocean. Let's follow the weather patterns. Let's follow the hemispheres. The Purple Blob Tour, to me, now more than ever, is just, it's a no-brainer. Because everybody's doing it. Guess what? People are doing the Purple Blob Tour. That's Alex point. Gray. All these guys. Like This thing was on the radar in Surfline two weeks ago, man. Every, yeah. I mean, in the whole Southern Hemisphere, there basically every surfer in the world wakes up and either goes to Storm Surf or goes to Surfline or whatever wave forecasting tool you use. And we look at the waves that are being generated, the waves that are going to potentially be generated. And people are on pins and needles trying to hunt down the next swell Puerto Escondido or wherever. Yeah. Purple Blob Tour needs to happen. If the WSL really... Now, look, I know it's not even... in This is the exact opposite of their business model, but I believe that they will fail unless they start following the surf. Don't go to breaks. Don't go to locations and know about it years in advance. All you do is you hire two or three of the best surf forecasters in the world, and you have eight events throughout the year one a month you make a compelling argument scott i love to argue with you but i don't really have a retort to that how great would it be to see john john gabe medina those guys at cloud break the other day when it was insane oh, oh it'd be unreal. by the way let's it'd let them tow unreal. let's let them tow yeah we can have a tow heat yeah. i mean let's figure it out yeah i mean by the way and then guess who is there the greatest surfer in the world that says it all oh my and his foot First of all, my BS meter went off the Richter when he said that he can't compete in Bali because he's not quite up to the competitive. He's concerned, I guess, about his foot. Yeah. And he broke his foot in the tube at J-Bay on a five-foot day, and it's 18, 15 to 18 feet at cloud break, and he's not concerned about his foot, and he's yeah. paddling in. He's not even – come on. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yep. I agree with that completely. Um, anyway, I went I'll come the, back. I went to off that. the rails. A no, little. no, no, no. I'll come back to that because those are in my kind of end of the show wrap up stuff. Must see moment. Dukes and you want to start with Bali Pro Chronos, the Corona Bali Pro. It's the Corona Bali Pro Tected. 
That's the new name. I got to come up with something better, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I think it's a solid name. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's start there. Are you, what do you want to start with? Well, I, I kind of, I already said it. Oh, okay. Who, who knew that we'd be saying well, Brazil is better than Lamar and Bali? I'm semi-bored by I don't it. think we did discuss that. Brazil, by the way. Did you watch all of Brazil? Yeah, but Brazil was fun to watch. It You're was, right. right? It probably is a lot of contrast to Lamar that made it so worthwhile. Yeah. Does the tour this year just seem disconnected? It just seems... And I mean, it's obviously it is. It's it, in flux. It's just like, it does, it almost, like, I don't even know who's wearing the yellow jersey. Like, I'm kind of, Julian. between Lamar, I know, but my point is, is that it feels like because Marg's got canceled, and now we're at Ulu, and we're also at Bali for the first time in a while, and we didn't do Collaborate, but it's pumping, and there's pro surface. It just seems like the tour is sort of like the fourth story. And yeah. it should be the first story. Okay, but I think that you are asking for two different things because okay. part of the reason it's disconnected is they're trying to incorporate some of the, um, I don't know, some of the flux that you're asking for. Like if it's a purple purple blob tour, spots aren't mandated in advance or certainly dates aren't mandated in advance. We need to go with the flow and just showcase these highlights that come out of these venues well, they've started to go with the flow a little bit more. It's like, well, let's cancel cancel Margie's for this reason, but then we'll keep it going over here in potentially better waves, more contestable, more drama. And then now that they're doing that, you're going, oh, I can't track it because things are in flux, you know? Well, first of all, they didn't cancel Margie's because of the waves. And all I'm saying is, if you're going to be in flux, the Purple Bob Tour, great. Now I know. I'll, I will be yeah. prepared for the flux. I wasn't but as prepared a business, for this. They're still sorting out, I think, some of what they're even trying to do. You know? I think this is a transition year. To what? The wave pool? Yeah, probably. Oh <laughs> That's my probably. God. That's a good point. <laughs> Transitioning. I don't know, but they're gonna continue making those adjustments as we go. No. Initially, I think that was kind of the idea, but based on a lot of feedback and what they experienced probably with the Founders Cup and then feedback from everybody, I think that they are making those adjustments as they go. Yeah, I don't well, think that's, it goes that's, full wave pool. To they it. listen to our podcast. They make an adjustment. That's how it and works. then retitle the emails. Right. Um, I think that Karamas warrants a stop on tour when it's at its best. We haven't seen it at its best, but also it makes me question this running a half a day, not even half a day, a third of a day contest thing zaps a lot of the excitement out of it. That's you know? what it is. There's part of that's part of my problem with it too is that the first couple of heats are glassy and insane and you're seeing some sick barrels. And then all of a sudden guys are getting 5.5s or doing really good aerials. Yeah. And you're like, I'd and rather then, just watch an edit. Well, and then as a viewer, you're also blue balled a little bit. You're like, I plan to watch this event throughout the day and now we're calling it off and I got to wait till tomorrow again. So that isn't uh, the WSL's fault, but it is something to take note of is like, we're going to need to make, what are you looking at? That is the WSL's fault. You By scheduling that, it there because they the knew WSL, it was going to get windy. They don't yeah. know that it's going to blow out in the morning on the east side of Bali. They're idiots. True. Okay. True. 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 Yeah. It's all about how you um, showcase that kind of final package of what goes out to the general public. And if it's not compelling, dramatic viewing, then the point is lost. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that, Scott. Um, Mikey Wright looks solid. Yeah. Oh, he beat he beat Kaloe. He did. That's right. You know who else I was psyched to see in this was uh, Baron 
Mamiya. Mamiya. He surfs really, really well. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to translate that to competitive results, but he really has talent. I mean, the guy's a, a freak Look, of nature. Look, they're all talented. No, this guy's a freak no, of nature, he's dude. not. Backdoor, yeah, backflips. Yeah, he's a backdoor specialist. No, he does backflips. He rips. He didn't, he didn't get out of his round two heat. I know. Unfortunately, competitive surfing is a little bit different of a game, but I, I think... He'd be, he's going to be interesting to watch in coming years. I think he's really, I would agree with that, but I I don't, it's so easy to say, Oh, this guy rips. He's got talent, blah, blah, blah. His name's, um, I don't know. Who's one of the guys that you love? Matt Banning. Thank you. (laughs) Carlos Munoz. At least I'm making claims, dude. You just sit around lauding Kelly Slater for the last 20 years. Mikey Wright, even in the free edit that the WSL dropped. Did you see that? No. I did a free surf edit at Kramas that, he was just tearing it. I love that he just goes for it. Yeah, just he's huge raw. hammers. You he's know? raw, and yeah. and I, the difference between this is why we need less surfers on tour because the difference between him and some of the other guys, and act basically the top twenty guys and the bottom twelve, it, it's pretty ridiculous. The difference, like some, I look at some guys, I go, why am well, I watching this guy? Like. So the final heat yesterday was uh, Connor O'Leary and Thomas Thomas, Thomas Hermes, yeah. and I had the TV on, so I just had the iPad. I was watching TV, but just the iPad off to the side with the event. What were you watching? With the event on, um, we've been watching Barry, the yeah. HBO series, okay. making it through that. Anyway, um, I w- so I'm watching the iPad surf contest without the volume on trying to analyze who's got the better of an exchange. And I'm like, well, Connor did eight turns. <laughs> Tomas did seven, but there was a floater in the seven. Like it, it's just like, there's negligible difference between those and it's safety serving. And it's not, I don't even want to try to figure out who served it better. Cause I lost interest after the eighth turn, you yeah. know, like, as opposed- well, that, look, that heat was settled by like a tenth of a point or something. It was super close. And they, they both rip, but yeah. it's not as exciting as no. watching, um, you know, like you said, Mikey Wright doing either a real massive gouge or trying to do a double backflip. Or, you know, also looks good again, thank God, is Michael Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. That guy's good. He had his back against the wall and then he just shredded. Oh, yeah, it was Yago did the big Yago, the big that was air. a good heat. That's the kind of heat we want to see all the time. That was was the heat of the future. Because I was like, Yago needs a score. And then he went for the Hail Mary. He pulled it. Yeah. And stomps it. And you go, oh my gosh, that's exactly. The waves went to crap because of the wind. And then he adjusted his surfing to accommodate the wind. It did a crazy air. But didn't get the score. And but it didn't really matter because the next wave, Michael Rodriguez oh, that's right. just that's blew he, it to right. pieces. That's what it was. Yeah. Michael comboed the thing with the gnarly air. So that was great surfing. That was great a great surfing. heat. Yeah. And there's been other heats where you're like, ah, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna call out guys. I've already called guys out on the show, but let's just say that there's some guys on tour that shouldn't be on tour. Well, right along. I mean, those... I want. I would much rather see Jack Robinson, please. Oh yeah. So right along those lines, got an email from listener Mark who said. What the heck is double qualifying? You don't get you don't get it in other sports, so why in surfing? Halfway through the season, Manchester United 
doesn't think to themselves, wow, we haven't won any games this season. Better go back and play against some teams from a league below just to get extra points. Good point. The San Jose Sharks don't think, let's make the playoffs this year by getting extra points playing some beer league teams on the side. (laughs) It's ridiculous. If you finish lower than 22nd and are off tour and 10 new guys from the WQS get to take your place, period. That's a good point. I mean, you and I, league hockey would be pretty insane. You and I have kind of analyzed this um, on the side over the years, but that puts it really succinctly and makes it look silly. It does. You really shouldn't that be guy able nailed to double qualify. Mark, is that his name? Yeah. He did a good job. Yeah, by the way, we're not allowed to say listeners' last names anymore in emails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you get that whole I exchange? Did. I got all that. <laughs> to the troll who is vilifying us for wanting to have environmental discussions, talking about women surfing, just fully ripped, backpedaled, fully ripped us apart in that last email that we read on the last yeah, show yeah. where we accidentally included his, you accidentally included his name. I didn't accidentally. I said it on purpose. I thought he wanted to be heard. I thought his voice wanted to be, he ripped I didn't us know a, he was ashamed of his He statement. ripped me a new one. Me and too. then, and then immediately, as soon as that episode goes out, we get, just frantic, down. Please frantic take my emails. Name off of this. Delete my name. Please delete my name. Please. I'll do anything for you guys. I'll do anything. Went full on backpedal and butt kissing. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to you? Tough guy troll who is making fun of me is now begging for forgiveness. <laughs> oh, the power. You felt like Bikram. I wanted, dude, I wanted to just be like, no, dude, we're leaving your name in there. Let, let's see what happens. But we didn't, of no, course. We, we took his name out. No, we, we took appreciate him as a listener. He's a good guy. But I agree with his. I agree with him no matter what. Like, we shouldn't include people's last names because... I guess you know. not, but uh, yeah, maybe not. Okay. So no anyways, that names. was Mark. The okay. double qualifying email was just Mark. Leave it at that. All right. Um. So yeah, we're looking forward to the rest of, of Karamas. I've got seven guys still in no round way. three. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Pretty excited about that. I need to check mine. I don't even know if I reset it for Karamas. I'm just going to restate this while you do that. Two incidents that have confirmed why my Purple Blob Tour should commence next year. Cloud Break, I already said everybody should have been on it. And the fact that everyone's going, God, Uluwatu is really good. Too bad it's blown out of Karamas. We would have had the best surfers in the world at the biggest and best waves in the world in Fiji this week and at Uluwatu. Uh, Of course, we're going to have Ulu next week on tour. But that was just a mistake, right? Right. So the fact that we're having a world tour event an hour away from where we should be having the world tour event is kind of weird. Frustrating. Um, Who wrote it better, Tony Hawk or Sean White? What do you mean? Tony Hawk and Sean White were given um, a full surf ranch, um, carte blanche VIP session at Kelly Slater's Wave Pool in Lemoore. Looked like Eddie Vedder was there too. Eddie Vedder was there, but I saw videos of Tony Hawk and Sean White, and I'm I'm asking you, who do you think wrote it better, Tony Hawk Sean. or Sean White? Sean. Why do you say that? I didn't see Tony Hawk's waves. <laughs> I do remember Sean though, like um, claiming a kind of I don't know, it wasn't even a head dip. He just kind of like got in the pocket of a wave. And I was like, oh, that was lame. And then he got another one that he got kind of properly barreled on. He did like a top turn and had to adjust out of the top turn and tuck in and then got barreled and came out. He had a funny stance, but I, I thought he – I was shocked that he surfed that well. You don't think so? No, I agree. Sean, Sean White – well, Sean White surfed it better than Tony Hawk. Okay. But Sean White bends at the waist like a girl in the he tube. Did. yeah. And it's just like, dude, don't bend at the waist. You bend at the knees. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? 
He like does this. Yeah. You know, like you and I are kind of back here. He goes like this. Right. The, which is an indicator that he hasn't gotten barreled a lot and he would get lipped in the head if it was somewhere other than surf ranch. You yeah. Know? But, and Tony, but, I, but he was, I mean, I think most of his surfing kind of prowess came from his snowboarding prowess. Like, I don't think he's been in the ocean a ton. Right? No, no. He surfs around Carlsbad. I mean, he? He's been surfing since he was 15 years old Yeah, at like campgrounds or some crappy way. Of yeah. Him. Yeah. Not getting barreled. No. And so Tony Hawk surf sort of, a little bit. It's kind of got like an awkward kind of no style style. It's too tall, right? Well, there's tall guys that surf good. And there's a lot that don't. <laughs> I mean, it's tall. It's hard to have tough style when you're good that style. lanky. Yeah. I'm sorry. Good style when you're that lanky. No, but it's Speaking weird. The experience. post, the post interviews. I've always thought Tony Hawk was a really, um, he's just a, he's, he seems like a good, um, a sincere human mm-hmm. and um, Sean White seemed like, Oh, the camera's on here. I better go into Sean White mode. And he's, oh yeah. You know, where Tony Hawk's much more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not sure. <laughs> You're supposed to help me at these moments. I, I'm also cerebral. That's the word I was looking uh, for. Okay. He seems more thought provoking hmm. where Sean White's like, yeah, bro, I got a new tattoo and I got barreled. Right. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, where's your monster energy drink? Right. Red Bull. Whatever. Um, I have six out of eight on my fantasy team still. I lost Kanoa and I lost Yago to friendly fire because I had Michael in that heat too. Nobody cares about your team. Thanks. ISA president Fernando Aguirre has confirmed that the Olympic competition will be in the ocean. Breaking news. It is breaking news. It was revealed last week that surfing competition at the 2020 Summer Olympics will take place in the ocean and not in a wave pool. Why did this news come out? Well, let me give you a quote from Fernando Aguirre, the ISA president. With the support of the ISA, the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, and the Tokyo 2020 organizers, we've determined that surfing will take place in the ocean in Tokyo at Surigasaki Beach, Surigasaki Beach in Chiba, said Fernando Aguirre. Of course, this was the initial plan, David, all along, but there was much speculation that the World Surf League was attempting to woo the International Olympic Committee, which would be weird because woo seems like a Japanese phrase, and it's, but anyway, it's a horrible joke. Attempting to woo the International Olympic Committee and 2020 Summer Olympic organizers and have their wave pool technology which would give surfing the best platform to make its Olympic debut. And the WSL Founders Cup of Surfing was even seen as a pitch to the IOC for what an Olympic-sanctioned surf event in a wave pool could look like. But they've stamped that down. However, the last little sentence from Fernando's opens the door to anything. Listen to this. Aguirre continued to say, The organizing committee has not indicated anything to us about the possibility of changing their plan, so we are planning for the chosen location in the ocean. To me, that's code for, hey, if they come up with a pool, we'll certainly look at it. It doesn't say, hell no, don't start building a pool. It says that they just haven't indicated anything to us about the possibility of perhaps changing. Yeah, no shit, because, you know, why would they do that? Prematurely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So anyway, what are your? I want to know what you think the odds are that this thing happens in a wave pool. Um, I don't think they have enough lead time to do the wave pool, right? I mean, to to build and get the thing up and running, I feel like you need more than eighteen months. That could be. I don't know. I think it would I think have you to could build one place. of those American wave machines pretty quick, like within a year. You think so? Yeah. Because I asked him that. Didn't I ask Willie that? I think I, I did. But it, we're not just talking dig a trench and pour concrete. We're talking about you need to have you gotta buy a land. stadium. And yeah, you got to buy the land. You have need the stadium. I mean, not stadium, but you need seating. You need viewing. You need all the parking. You well, need. That, that's part of buying the land. Could you, that's part of buying the land. Could you even get all of that? Uh, approved permitting wise in 18 months for, for the Japanese Olympics. There's no permitting. They just green light everything. I mean, I don't know how Japan works, but if you were in Russia, they're like, well, permit of this, course. start digging <laughs> sponsored by Adidas, start digging that thing. I mean, so, I agree with you. It seems like a long shot, but I'm going to suggest to you that if they don't have a wave pool as a contingency, there's going to be egg on their face. Now, look, we all hope it's, it's at least three to five feet, or even if it's two to three feet in Chiba in July, we'll be blown away, right? That's the problem is I don't think they're going to get good waves in the ocean. So I don't think that they're going to end up with a wave pool. I think they will surf in the ocean, and I don't think that they will score good surf. I think it's going to really be a lackluster event. And I've Well, I've heard Fernando talk, and his whole thing is, look, the waves might be crappy, but this first event this first olympics of surfing isn't necessarily completely about how good the waves are what it's about is celebrating beach lifestyle and beach culture and let's have everybody that comes to the olympics do yoga over here and have an acai bowl over there and have everything run by solar power and look into that over here and we'll have seminars on the environment over here and we'll have an entire festival area on the beach in chiba which will be the olympic surfing festival and we will showcase how great the surfer tribe is to the world and oh by the way the waves are one to three feet little soft windswell but no, never mind. We did get a gold medalist over here. We've done the gold. We've done it. And the good news is we're now moving to Europe. We're going to have the event at Biritz or, you know, Hasagor, um, the next Olympics. And, or is it in LA? I don't know. Either way, we're doing it at Trestles in July, which odds are really good that we'll get fun waves. Or we're doing it in Hasagor, which odds aren't so good in July. But I mean, that is the problem looking. Okay. So let's start with the first thing. So okay. the beach festival thing. Yes. Whew. Not really on board with any of that. And like, if that is what it's going to be, then why have, why assign medals to the people in the surf event? If it's just going to be a festival, why not just have an ex exhibition, a surfing exhibition? If they're doing yoga down the beach, which isn't an Olympic sport and you're, you know what I mean? Like then let's just do a beach festival exhibition thing and have people surf, but don't give them medals because if you want it, to be Olympic level athleticism, then you need the proper venue for it. And they're Agreed. not giving it the proper venue. Well, you, you, we just don't know. But I mean, I bet if you did one of those Sean Collins, let's look at the last 30 years of Chiba in July. Yeah, exactly. What's the, what's the surf like? Terrible. Yeah. It's like probably the worst time of year to do an event there. Right. And it's bad all year round. I mean, it's, it gets good occasionally, it gets but good it's not a typhoon spot. Yeah, typhoon, exactly. Like it'll be good in September. Yeah. Maybe they'll get an early typhoon. I hope so. I hope it's pumping. Everybody does. The thing is the Olympics is everybody's finest performance across sport, right? So 
you want to be able to offer that to the world of surfing. And if you're giving a really, really marginal version of surfing, it's just not good for anybody. It's not good for the viewers. It's not good for surfing. Um, I think that they could, obviously they're not going to get what we had at cloud break a couple of days ago, regardless, but the doing the Olympics in LA and then holding the event down at lowers is a great example of yours where, yeah, that's not 20 foot cloud break, but that is still world-class surfing, you know? Yeah. Um, or they could do it at Malibu. I mean, there's so many places yeah. in LA around Southern California where they could have the event, but that yeah. it really puts us in a weird situation for wherever the Olympics go in the future. You know, what if they end up like in Greece, they were in Greece already right. or at Athens, but there's no waves there. You know, like there, it would be really tough to do a surfing event at that Olympics. Well, that would be, let's see, 10 years from now or more. And by then, you know, American Wave Machines or KS Wave Company or one of these many other, you know, startup wave machine companies is going to have their act together. And you're going to be able to have this, the Summer Olympics in, say, I don't know, somewhere like in Yugoslavia or somewhere. Would they have summer or winter Olympics in Yugoslavia? They just had it there, didn't they? I think it's all winter all the time in Yugoslavia. Uh, That's what it feels like. Well, let's say you had it in, I don't know. But my point is they'll probably have a wave machine option at that point in 12 years. Yeah, but then do you just go build a wave machine every four years? Yeah, because by then you have so many nation states that are going to be in the Olympics and have surfing in the Olympics that they're all going to have wave machines and they're all going to be built near metropolitan areas where if the Olympics are held in Paris, then you have the event at the wave machine outside of Paris, wherever that is, you know? Yeah. It's a dystopian future that you're envisioning. I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily like rubber stamping it or, but that's kind well, of what's going to happen. Here's my question then if they do. Okay. Other side of the equation. If they do build a wave pool for the Olympics, who's going to, which technology will be used? I was going to ask you that. And right now, my answer to that is I think you want American wave machines. But who, who actually would get that contract? Well, it would be American wave machines or it would either be wave garden in Europe and Spain, or it would be Kelly Slater. Right. By the way, in 2019, they're going to be opening the new wave garden in, I think it's in England. It's a wave garden cove wave. That's it's huge. It's big. And also, did you see the photos of the breaking of the ground of the new wave machine in Australia? The, yeah. the Aki Barton Lynch. Yeah. By the way, I listened to Surf Mastery the other day with Barton Lynch. Mm. Have you heard that one? Yeah, he. I met him at the boardroom show. Yeah, Ben. Is it? No, I met Michael. Him, yeah, Michael. Yeah, he's a great. He's he's good. Yeah, I met him too. I want to do a, an interview with him, but. Um, but the Barton Barton Lynch is just a fascinating guy to listen to. Like he, like you could listen to him talk about you know, the color of this coffee, and he could go off and it's a different kind of cocoa. You know, it's that cocoa like the color of blush in somebody's face when the sun hits it just right. You know, like he just like you're just like fascinated by what he has to say about the color of my coffee. Yeah, let he's alone. Great. Yeah, so. I loved him on the commentary team. I don't know if he's officially gone or not, but I haven't seen him for a while. Anyway, where are we going? Oh, we're talking Olympics. Wave pools. Yeah. So do you, which do you think would end up in Tokyo? I feel like Kelly's pool yeah. has um, the most kind of, I don't know, 
recognition now and kind of uh, because the WSL has done a couple of events there, it gives it the most validity for the world stage. I feel like they would be first offered the contract. Mm. Depends, I guess, who determines what they want. I would agree with you that I think Japan would be like, oh, Kelly Slater, perfect wave. Let's do this. And we've seen the world's best surf there a bunch, you know, yeah. and like that is just kind of I think the most talked about. I would rather see the wave the American wave machine Waco or the wave garden technology where there's unpredictability in the wave, not the wave garden one though. No, no. The wave garden cove. Oh, the new one, the new one, the new one. Yeah. Interesting. You didn't do it. Did you get an ominous feeling when you saw the pictures of the one in Australia breaking ground? No. Um, What kind of an ominous? I just got this ominous feeling. Like when they actually turn it on and try it out, the whole thing's just going to blow up. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why I got wow, that. Wow, that'd be weird if we can I hope verify that's not the this. case. I'm just, I was like. Ugh. So. Um, so you did not do a good job of getting us invites to the Waco pool, by the way. <laughs> you guys shut me down so hard. You that didn't... was maybe the best part of the interview when I went. So when am I going? He goes, well, it's open to the public. Feel free to book a ticket, yeah, Scott. Exactly. Uh, uh, I failed miserably. And by the way, really it is did. open to the public. I got an email from a guy, David C. Won't say his last name. He's like, hey, great interview. I just got back from there. The wave's super fun. And I was like, oh, killer. You know, how much does it cost? He's like, well, they were doing $100 for all you can surf. And then they changed that real quick when there was a line out the door, guys. So now it's 60 bucks an hour. And I think you surf with four or five or six other guys. Nice. Yeah. And you could probably just schedule your time. So you're not sitting yeah, you there sh- waiting. You schedule your time. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. Um, well, How about the concept that you can? we could actually build a 12-foot wave? Or let's just say six to eight feet, like a six to eight foot Waco wave. That is incredible. And it's just a matter of two things, space and energy. Right. And I sense that their technology is more energy efficient than the others because they're not pulling a plow through the ocean. They're using through this the air pressure. Yeah. But I could be wrong. But that's the vibe yeah, I was I getting. No the vibe I was getting was wink, wink. Ours is way better on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. What else you got, Scotty? Um, I've got, I don't know. Do you want to talk more about the cloud break? Those waves kind of just spoke for themselves. It was mind blowing. We can use that for sure to lead into that's, I mean, Ramon Navarro's wave is my must see moment. He's my dude. He's my dude. Yeah. Like that is a freakish, freakish thing. Um, as a side note, something that I've talked about on this show before, if anybody hasn't yet seen it, there's a great, great profile documentary on Ramon Navarro that Patagonia produced four years ago. Actually, Chris Malloy made it for Patagonia. It's called The Fisherman's Son, and it's a 30-minute documentary about Ramon Navarro conserving the um, Chilean coastline where his hometown is and a big, you know— um, giant corporation came into town and bought a bunch of land on the coastline to make whatever their widget was. And he and the local people fought against it and actually got them to not develop that coastline, uh, which would have damaged not only the surf break there, but all of their local food sources and all that sort of stuff. So great series on Ramon Navarro that gives you his background and actually shows how he came from like a very impoverished area to come in and get like uh, world spot surfing spotlight images and video at pipeline and cloud break. And a lot of the biggest, best waves around the world came from nothing, you know? So good for him. Yeah. Good story. But his, he's the highlight of cloud break and the crazy session that went down there. 
Yeah, I would say that the the swell was sort of the highlight. The swell is the main, the dominant characteristic. Would you say that the waves are the stars? The waves are the stars. I would go so far as to say that the waves were wow. the stars. But of of the surfers, certainly Ramon Navarro's wave was mind blowing. There were some really cool ones though, as well as Ramon's. Ramon's was just Ramon's looked like Chopu, but for a super long time and actually like thicker, thicker than Chopu. Not thicker, but Chopu's pretty thick. Chopu's square. This wasn't. This was this super was like a, thick, but more of a normal barrel so- shape. What's so cool about Cloudbreak is that it goes almond eye. It yeah. goes almond kind of mid tube and then it burps into a big fat wide open cavern then it pinches into a like you got to kind of get high super high and pinch out the top once you do that you get to the bottom it does a big burp again and then you're just like facing the gnarly shish kebabs and the whole thing is just mind-blowing it's such an intense wave that's what's great about it from a competitive standpoint is the negotiations that have to be made uh Chopu's exciting and pipe's exciting because it's really death defying. You know, you're dropping into a big barrel, but at cloud break, there's a lot more negotiations being made both in the barrel and out of the barrel to where you should do turns and then set up for the next section that might or might not barrel. So um, when it's giant like that, it's more barreling the entire way down the line, but it's still a lot more negotiating. Can I say something that, that I got to admit I thought, which is wrong. I'm going to say it out loud, but I think it's kind of wrong because who am I to say this? However, when I watched Ramon's wave, I oh, thought really? to myself, do you know what I'm going to say? He should have got more barrels. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I was like, why isn't he stalling? He should have been deeper. Why isn't he stalling? Because <laughs> he's going like 100 miles an hour. I am sorry, God. I am so sorry. Please forgive me, Lord. No. I kind of felt like he could have been a little deeper. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and, I, and I apologize to all the listeners right now who are going, Bass, you would never be out there. And you're correct. I wouldn't. However, did you not have that thought? Okay. At one point during yes. the wave, did you think, God, it'd be cool if he was a little deeper? Okay. When I saw an image of it, just it was a photograph that Kelly Slater posted, I think. I was like. I feel dirty. I go, oh my gosh, he got the wave of a lifetime and barrel of a lifetime. Then I saw the video. And I have to admit, you're right. The the video, I was expecting him to get more barreled based on the image that I saw. But I immediately relinquished that thought, Scott, because I was like, it is um, it is a death-defying wave that you are just hoping to survive. You're not concerned about stalling on that thing. And not that I would even know, you know, but like he was, <laughs> I'm sure that he was thinking, I'm going to survive this one. Now that he survived that, he's going, give me another and I'll get more barreled on the next one. But I don't know that he ever got that opportunity. I am being hypercritical. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think most surfers that watch that, if you're, there's like no me, stalling on a wave like that, dude. I just, well, you're just the set the setup. I don't look. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. He no, of course he didn't do anything wrong. I'm just saying when I watched it, I thought, God, it'd be cool if he was a little deeper. So instead of the spit reaching him as the spit sort of died down. If he was right in the thing when it spit so that he disappeared in the spit and he came out with his hands in the air like, oh, my God, which I saw a couple other guys do that. Not, not on, the not on that wave. big wave, yeah. not on that big of a wave. But, you know, just what? saying to all the listeners out there, I know deep down in your heart, <laughs> you had the same surfers are the worst. That's kind of like where this is going. 
Yeah, I'd also love it if he came out and did a 360 air off the end side. You know what I mean? But that's not he practical. He kicked out and hugged Kelly Slater. That's perfect. By, by the way, I didn't think he'd even be able to kick out. When he's approaching the kick out, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. He's not going to make it. He's going to get pulled back in. Well, it's crazy. Cloud break is one of those waves where you better get out. And it's better to get out too soon, like before you think you should, than, oh, I'm going to go for one more section and you don't get out. And then you're done. Like yeah. you are truly worked. And there's some videos of, there's a video of a guy going over the falls, I think the day before the swell hit, when it was like eight, six to eight. There's a video of a guy getting pitched. I don't know if you saw it on Instagram or it was somewhere. It might well, have been Andrew, on surf. Andrew Jacobson. That's who it was. Yeah. Right. He's he got, a Southern California goofy foot guy. Yeah. Rides for Vista. Yeah. Um, got injured. And yeah. this was a few days before that swell. Right. But definitely, I mean, it, it looked like perfect cloud break, right? And he got some good ones. Yeah. It's a day that you and I would be like, oh, let's go out there it and would like, have been challenge no, ourselves. It, it's heavy. Yeah. It, at that size, even at that size, it's it's a heavy wave. Totally. And he paid the consequence. You know, yeah. he went over the falls. He paddled into it because it looked so good. Like, he knew it was going to be a tough drop, but still went, knowing the wave's just so good. And then, yeah, I got pitched, didn't even make the drop, got pitched, and ended up hitting the reef. And I forget what his injuries were, but definitely lacerations on the face, big laceration on his leg somewhere. I don't know if there were broken bones or not, Yeah, but um, it it's going to be a long recovery. Yeah. yeah. Best wishes to him. That was a gnarly wipeout. But the day of the the day of the big event, um, who was the guy with the green or the yellow wetsuit? Not got, sure. I think he's an Aussie guy, but God, he got a sick one. Hmm. It's on Surfline. Maku- the guy Makua got he got a mean one too. Injured too. Yeah, I don't know who the Aussie guy was. If you check out the Surfline thing, there there's some. He got he got one of those ones where he got to kind of negotiate all those different sections that we were just talking about. An almond tube that that opened up into a beast. That then he got spit out. Then he had to ride real high, and then the foam ball caught up to him, and he had to launch himself off. Mm. Luke Shepardson yes, was out there. I think that was who it is. I think is he Hawaiian though? Yeah, maybe he is. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. Guy with a colorful wetsuit, yellow um, wetsuit or a green wetsuit? Honestly, like neon kind of. The other thing is, it's hard to identify people on waves that big. Like you can ident- you can identify somebody's style when they're surfing and doing turns on waves this big where they're just locked in, it's harder to know who's who. Does it feel like there's a media lockdown? Like there's only a few rides and a few waves. Like you don't see a whole lot. Like apparently there was, and we know there were a bunch of great surfers out there and Instagram shows you one or two, like there's one of Dane Godowskis and there's maybe one of Alex Gray. And you know, like you don't see, do you think that there would be like all those boats got together and went, hey, let's hold this thing down until we put out this edit on this day or whatever? That seems far fetched, but uh, how come yeah. there isn't more footage of it, I guess? Because they're just simply it was just a four hour window and that was that. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's a lockdown to answer your question. It would be weird for everybody to institute institute it on this one occasion when they I mean, have Kelly ever done only get one wave. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. So Kelly only got one way. I think it's that gnarly. And also, oh, it is definitely that gnarly. And also, there's a lot of mist moving around. So, like, the color contrast and everything and the imagery, I'm sure, needs some manipulating. Post. Yeah, yeah. It needs some post production stuff. But I mean, even that only takes a day or two. Like, it's not like it takes a week. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe you're just waiting for people to, or maybe they're interested in selling it, knowing that it's the biggest 
you know, it's like going to be a historic did you see event. any waves of Cole Christensen? No. Okay, that seems odd. Did you see any waves of Kai Lenny? No. I think I saw one. Yeah. And Kai towed and he did stand up paddling out there. How gnarly is that? And if you're towing, you're catching a lot of waves. I mean, relatively yeah. speaking, you're going to probably get four waves. Let's just say every guy that towed got four waves. Yeah. You would think, right? Yeah. There's not a lot out there. That's true. Just saying. Yeah, that's weird. Okay, so what if... Uh, not that it's a media lockdown necessarily, but it's um, you show up at that event or at that venue with your own team of photographers and there's kind of a tacit agreement of like, I'm not going to, if I'm here to shoot Kelly, I'm not going to shoot your guys. You know, I'm here oh, locked right. on Kelly. And if I'm locked on Kelly, I know that we have these projects coming out that we want to use this footage for. Right. So and, please. Yeah. And therefore you just stick with it and you're all staying on the Island together. So it is kind of, yeah. I don't think it's an official lockdown. It's kind of just like, I, I, bet, shot... I bet if you're staying on the Island together that evening, you're kind of like talking it over beers or whatever. And yeah. you're like, Hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Please don't use those shots. Cause we got, we know and, but, wolver's been, okay, we won't use your shots of Mitch Colburn or whoever the hell. And, and there's no random photographers out there just poaching. They're all there with a team. Right. And that team has an objective for their media outlet. Even for instance, Anthony Walsh, had a GoPro moment that you probably saw like a POV inside the tube. Only one. Right. There's way more than one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Use your journalistic efforts to get to the bottom of this. I just did. Thank um, you. No, you didn't. You just proposed the question. No, I, I solved the problem. Call Anthony. Solve it. No, <laughs> it's Luke Shepardson in the yellow, by the way. Yeah. And he is from the North shore. Yeah. And he, he got a sick one. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Very cool. Well, my Duke is Ramon Navarro. Duke Kahanamoku, Ramon Navarro for all the things we mentioned. Okay. And an all-around good guy. My coup. Wait, let me get my Duke. Okay. Kelly Slater in commemoration of his competitive career. As far as I'm concerned, Kelly has unofficially retired from competition surfing. And I would like to use this segment of the Duke Kahanamoku of not only the week, this could be a larger one, maybe the month, maybe even the season is Kelly Slater. Uh, congratulations on a great, great career. Kelly Slater, 11 world titles, 50, whatever contest wins. It's been super, super impressive, but he has called out sick one too many times. And here's the other thing. Not only has he not gone to these events, which really was fair enough to assign it to the injury that he had last year at J Bay. But as you stated, he's going and he's surfing in the Founders Cup, which is um, a, an athletic style of surfing, right? And then he's also going and surfing a death-defying wave, which you could argue, well, he's just going straight on so you could do it with a broken foot. What I'm indicating is you're saying, no, he can't do it with a broken foot by shaking your head. Listeners can't see that. But what I'm indicating is something kind of more telling, which is Kelly knew Bali, the waves are going to suck in Bali or they wouldn't be world-class. And he knew they would, it'd be a once in a lifetime opportunity at his favorite wave in the world at cloud break. And he's indicating a mental shift to me. He's indicating chasing life, you know, changing swells around the world is where my heart is at now. Going and competing on this tour is no longer where my heart is at. So I'm not saying that you'll never see Kelly compete in another event, but I am saying this is officially his kind of retirement this yeah. is his official statement to the world of my goal now is chasing swell around the world. 
And that means he's retired from competitive. I totally agree with you. And well stated. And that, that was sort of a feeling I had this morning driving in was I felt the same thing. Like, and, and I'll go, I'll take it one step further, which I think you, you would agree with. Not only is he doing that, but for the first time you get the sense that he's okay with it. Like there might've been like half of his heart. That's like, Oh shit, I should be chasing some points. I might still have a chance if I can win the next four events and get top four in the next, you know, I, you know what I mean? But that's not even a part of his equation. Like I sense for the first time, Again, just total BS, me sensing it from this seat. But, but, but also, he put out a little, a little quote on Instagram about it. But I do sense that he's, for the first time, comfortable with no longer chasing the world title. He's conceded. Now, my question to you is, will he win another WCT event yes, ever? I think he will. I think he'll get an invite into somewhere at some point, whether it's it, – well, I'll tell you where it would be. It would, it would be Pipe cloud break or chopu and the waves will be pumping and he can win any of those events for the next decade he's better than everybody when those waves are on pipe you could argue john john is certainly right up there with him when it's on but i don't know of anybody better than him at cloud break or chopu but will there ever be an event at cloud break yeah i think it could come back easily um i do you think he'll ever win another event i don't think he will I think there's other people that John, John, Gabe, Owen, that can all compete with him and have more at, at, and will have more competitive juices flowing for massive cloud rake or massive chopes or massive pipe. Yeah. So I just don't think he's ever going to win another WCT event. I don't. Yeah. I think now that means he's not going to win at Lemoore, which is kind of a wild card because he's kind of like, like it or not, he's got the upper hand there. He gets to serve yeah. it whenever he wants. I mean, he's got his own trailer there with the masseuse. and He does. Um, Will he win Lamora? Obviously, you're saying no. I am too. I don't think that... And he didn't win Lamora. His team didn't win. No, he didn't. And he didn't even look like the best surfer there. It, Like, again, there's a level of flow that he has there that nobody else has, other than maybe Stephanie Gilmore. But... Oh. <laughs> Princess Diana. By the way, you were just wearing her jersey from the I Future was. Classic. We'll post that photo. Yes, we did but, that to yeah, get people a, excited about our show. You should have seen Scott rubbing his By face the, on it. <laughs> no, that is not true. My wife listens to this show. Um, did you notice how the WSL for this Bali protected... They have this little thing on Stephanie that she is stylish by nature, and it's a promo for the WSL. I didn't see it. Because there's a promo for the WSL where it's all about Steph Gilmore. Mm. And it says stylish by nature. And it shows a beautiful picture of her standing there looking like Princess Diana. And then it says WSL, whatever. Do you think she gets paid by the WSL for that? No. Do you think it's like a collab with Roxy or something? Because there is some Roxy. Could be. There's like some little bit of Roxy mojo in there. Could be that Roxy, it's like... um they're subsidizing it. It's a rocks. I mean, is it yeah. an outright Roxy? No, ad? to me, it seemed like a promo for, Hey, women surfing is killer, right? It's a stylish by nature. Steph Gilmore is stylish by nature. And then a big WSL logo comes up. Hmm. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Interesting. I don't think she's getting paid for it. All right. Well, Kelly Duke, congratulations. Phenomenal career. Great career, Kelly. Congratulations. We look forward to seeing you on the, 
Big Wave World Tour or the Purple Blob Tour, man. Just Purple keep Blob keep Tour. chasing him. I'm glad to see him at Cloudbreak. Yeah. That's that. Honestly, I'd rather see him there surfing those waves than at Karamas battling it out with Oni Anwar in round two. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Thank you. Can we please trim the number of surfers on the CT? Who's um, your kook? My do you kook? have a kook? I do. My kook is all the trolls on Surfline on that cloud break feature that they have. If you scroll down and see the comments, it's just it's just ridiculous. Really? The amount of trolling that's gone. Like what are the, they saying? There's It's just surfers are the worst. It's just like, I forget exactly. I think some guy chimed in like, oh, instead of watching this on Surfline, you should have been there riding the waves like or wherever and then the other guy's like yeah um i'm at work right now and i'm watching this and i just thought i'd chime in and say it looks fascinating you know sorry i chimed in and then the troll comes back oh but you know what instead of watching it on surfline you should just go to your local beach and surf instead like it's just surfers are the worst i mean you're dealing with the most sophomoric trolling ever i thought you're somebody said something apocryphal like ramon navarro should have been deeper in the barrel or something like that <laughs> but there was nothing that egregious. It was oh only God. making Maybe fun of each other. Perhaps I'm a troll. Um, oh lordy! Well, my kook. By the way, yes, yes. Uh, we were just talking before we went on the air about a comment that was left for you on the about the boardroom podcast. Uh, you've had to deal with a little bit of trolling occasionally, right? Oh, on social media on and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have too, for yeah. sure. It's kind of an indicator that you have um you've arrived if you've developed enough for people to have some you know strong stance on what you're doing then i think you should be proud of that i don't know about it's an indicator proud of it it's an indicator people are hating haters are gonna hate it's a good thing (laughs) it's a good thing it only also serves to elevate your cause you know by the way, are you watching the NHL playoffs, Stanley no. Cup? Oh, no. my God. You're missing it. Dude. Really? Oh. What about so it? So good. Las Vegas Knights versus Washington Capitals. I didn't even know that was a team. The Las Vegas Knights? It's just this is their first year, and they're in the Stanley Cup finals. Really? And you should see their, their That's pre, a huge story. pregame production is insane in Las Vegas. Like, the whole stadium goes. It's a brand new whole stadium goes dark and they have like a blue man group production on drums and place just lights up and they play ACDC and chicks and crazy outfits on skates, skater. It's just, and then there's a knight comes out like Excalibur and like puts his, <laughs> puts his sword through some other guy's heart. And it's just full Las Vegas over the top. And it's the hottest say. ticket in Vegas right now is the ticket to the Las Vegas Knights Stanley cup finals. It's insane. I was going to say Las Vegas is the worst. Speaking of surfers are the worst. Las Vegas is the worst, dude. I'm not going to deny that. Um, My kook this week is uh, everybody calling these air rotations 540s. I'm glad you brought this up. Was that? I got into a big debate with Todd Richards last week. That was just a 360, right? Clearly. Yeah. Clearly as day. Yeah. Everybody, All you have to do is draw the rotation with a pencil as he does it. It's a it's a one single loop. I had a then he long, lands and I had a long, long, one hour long debate with Todd Richards on the phone. No, on a podcast at Chad's oh. at Chaz's house oh. last week, and for an hour arguing with him about degrees of rotation. It's driving me Did insane. Did he call you a kook because you can't do it? No, 
He started uh, relying on insults at a certain part in the conversation because he kind of realized, like, here's ultimately what's happening after much discussion. So Todd Richards is your kook is what I'm getting. No, it's everybody on the internet who abides by what he says simply because he says it. Right. You know what I mean? As opposed and to that's, like, he's, it's like flat earthers. It's like, dude, the earth They're is calling round. me flat earthers. What? They're saying I'm the flat earther for you denying the spin. You can see the, the 360 right in front of your okay. eyes. So here's what's happening, okay? For a long time, it just felt like everybody was arguing and it was all senseless. Yeah. I finally, through this conversation, isolated what both camps are say, seeing. Right. You and I are seeing the degrees that the person rotated. And that's what we're calling, right? He right. rotated 360 degrees. Right. People from snowboard and skate backgrounds are equating that with what you would have done in a half pipe. And so in the half pipe, Felipe would have hit the lip like this, straight up and down at a 90 degree angle from where the coping is. Uh uh So that already gives the rider 90 additional degrees degrees of rotation because Felipe is basically hitting the coping almost parallel you know, with his board parallel to the beach and parallel to the coping, just a couple degrees turned up into the coping, but certainly not 90. So surfers and snowboarders are getting that additional 90 degrees on launch from takeoff. And they're also getting... Wait a minute. So right there is the the start. For a snowboarder. We're at zero. For a snowboarder, this is straight up. Yeah. We're at zero degrees. Now we're at 45 or 90. That's 90. Yeah, 90. And then... So, okay. So that 90 degree difference. And you're saying right there, they get 90? That's 90 from here to there. So from where Felipe launches is essentially a 90 degree angle from where the snowboarder launches. The snowboarder's launching straight up off the coping, perpendicular to the coping. Felipe's launching nearly parallel off the coping. And then upon landing, the snowboarder is coming straight back down the coping, Right. right? So they do a row one 360 and then a half a rotation more to come straight down the coping Felipe's coming down, not facing at the beach. If he launched facing away from the beach and then landed facing to the beach, that would be the other 90 degrees. He's launching parallel to the beach and landing parallel to the beach, which is only 360. So snowboarders are looking at it going, well, if I was a snowboarder and I hit the ramp, I would have hit that extra 90 degrees straight up and I would have landed the extra 90 degrees straight down. The 90 plus the 90 is the added 180, you know? Okay. So that's what they're looking at is they can't come out of their own filter of like, oh, that wave is a half pipe ramp and I would have hit it at 90. They're just look. And so we're looking at it going, well, Felipe, forget about the so half they, pipe. They give him this 90 degrees. They give the 90 the on the first launch, 90 degrees. And they also give the 90 on the landing, assuming that his board would be facing at shore when he landed. Right. But it's not. And you and I, what we're seeing is that he's launching here. Right. His board is facing parallel with the beach when he launches and it's facing parallel with the beach when he lands. So he only rotated 360. 360. Right. And so sometimes snowboarders don't launch completely perpendicularly. Sometimes they're launching at an angle. So that's a 30 to 60 degree grace period that they're giving the snowboarder Mm -hmm. and they might give him 30 to 60 grace on landing. So that makes it a little bit fishy but it's all based on the idea that they're hitting it at 90 degrees perpendicularly from the coping and landing at 90 degrees perpendicularly 
You know, whereas Felipe doesn't do that. We're talking about the air in Rio, of course. Felipe doesn't do either. They're just gifting him the 90 on launch and gifting him the 90 on landing. And that's the mistake in 180. So Todd and I are arguing and I'm going, hey, Todd, I see what you're saying. I can see why you're calling it 540, but that's not what's happening in surfing. He's not even able to see what I'm. Did you say it like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's not even able to to take that shield off of. You'll the never be able to thing. surf Beacons again. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we ended on fine terms. It was fine. We call it Keekins for a reason. Um, but you know what I mean. Like, I can see why there's a separation between yes. what's happening. We yes. need to agree that. You guys are arguing just that this trick's named 540 regardless of number of rotations. And we need to agree that we're just arguing degrees of rotation. Those are two separate camps. Right. Where the internet lands is basically based on whether or not you have a snowboarding and skate background or not. You know? Right, right. So, but I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. It's like, you guys, the the reason why snowboarders named it that is because of the degrees they rotated. So you can't just. How about this? If you want to do airs, go skating. <laughs> right. I ride waves, not air. Oh, <laughs> old school. Yeah, so. bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Surfers are the worst. This is how cold are the worst. Form. Surfers who skate and snowboard. 540 Or snowboarders who surf. <laughs> 540ers are the worst. 540ers. This is how cults are formed. You know, right. and like a lot of what, and simply by agreeing with the leader that came before them. And a lot of what uh, Todd was saying was like, well, dude, it is what it is because we call it that. And you go talk to Danny Way, ask Danny Way what it is. Talk to Tony Hawk, ask Tony Hawk what it is. And I'm like, so you're just going to blindly believe these people who came before you? Like, I agree. In their skateboard examples, that is a 540. That is a 720. It's clear as day. When, but in surfing, you to throw out creative analysis and creative thinking strictly to go by what the person before just you to said. to follow blindly? That is how cults are formed. And I'm not saying that... Uh, <laughs> that is <how laughs> I'm not, new I'm not bumper saying, sticker. Well, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, the David crash in Waco is as bad as what these five forty years are saying. But pretty close. No, I'm saying the five forty years are worse. <laughs> okay. I'm saying I'd rather Good. be with the Rajneesh in Oregon doing yoga. Right. Than blindly calling what is clearly 360 degrees, 540 degrees and abandoning all the math and science. It's so funny because first of all, I don't really give a shit about this argument at all. I, I really don't care at all about it. But when I watched it and I saw somebody, you know, it was even labeled maybe 540. I'm like, really? I kind of scratched my head. I went, that looked like a 360. I only saw one full loop. Yeah, it's crazy. I, what, am, right? what am I missing here? Exactly. And apparently I was missing Todd Richards and all those guys telling me what's up. Yeah. Accounting for, again... The launch, 90 degrees on launch, 90 degrees on landing. That's what they're accounting Who for. Who cares? You know blah, what? Blah, to be blah. honest, yeah. I just love arguing. Surfers are the worst. I just like arguing with people. Yeah, you're good at it. Thanks. Not really. Um, okay, well, I think that does it. That does it, Scott. We're going to have a podcast. Spit po- oh, by the way, I've worn my Need Essential shorts that, he, that um, Rob gave me the other day. Super comfortable. The shorts that like you oh, can the board sur- shorts, the board shorts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they have pockets in them. They're yeah. like a combo, like a board short with pockets, like walking short, board short combo. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm into it. I think it, that's dude. what I wore. <laughs> 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 I got me wondering. Well, need essentials. Uh, anybody who ever needs a wetsuit, Neatessentials.com. That's what Scott and I are wearing. We're big fans uh organically and they are supporters of this show so we like to say whoever supports this show scott you should support them absolutely and the boardroom podcast a different podcast than this one will be 
up sometime late in the week or maybe during the weekend. And we're going to do, again, uh, we'll be talking with Dennis Jarvis from Spider Surfboards up there in the South Bay of Los Angeles. And that's something that people have been looking forward to for a long time, getting Dennis, um, hearing Dennis's take on the situation. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. So, And then um, also, big supporter of the show, spyoptic.com. Right. Are you Love. seeing happy? I see happy every day I put on my spies. They look good on you. Thank you. Spyoptic.com, of course, the happy lens. Let's the good light in, blocks the bad light out. And then, of course, use our promo code to get a free T-shirt. The promo code is podcast. And uh, put it in your cart. It'll get zeroed out, the cost, once you uh, put that promo code in on checkout. So spyoptic.com, promo code podcast. Spitpodcast.com, where everything that we discussed, we'll put that that 360 in there just so you can go and argue with people on the We need the to draw some graphic on it so we can show them just why we think it's a 360. I got that covered. Okay. For sure. Spy op, or, uh, <laughs> spitpodcast.com. All righty then. Until next time, adios and aloha. So let's leave it alone. Cause we can't see eye to eye. There ain't no good guy. There ain't no bad guy. There's only you and me and we just disagree. So let's